morning, Stacey and I begin a several-week series of sermons on the Beatitudes found in the Sermon on the Mount. In conjunction with that, starting next Sunday at 9.15, we'll be in the chapel teaching a class that kind of goes deeper into each of these. But for now, let's hear the sermon that began Jesus' ministry in the Gospel of Matthew. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up a mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven And for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under a bushel basket. But on the lampstand, it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. The word of the Lord. We're always chasing after the next thing that will give us some edge. Sometimes we call that a blessing. Sometimes it's not exactly a blessing. It seems like right now, one of the tokens of a good life is also one of the most unattainable, at least according to the Wall Street Journal. It's a cell phone number with Manhattan's 212 area code. Now, it used to be, you know, that area codes were geographic. I grew up in central Illinois, 309. I went to college in Virginia, 804. But now it doesn't matter if you live in California or New Jersey or Austin or Peoria. If you want to be seen as having what it takes to get ahead, apparently you need a New York 212 area code. Some people are going to great lengths, paying people off, getting people who fix these things to try to get the 212. One media consultant has said, since your phone number is now quite literally your calling card, those numbers say a lot about you, no matter where you're actually located. Larry Richardson has taken a different approach. Larry lives in Mulvane, Kansas, and he decided to build a bridge over Cowskin Creek, which ran in the back of his property, a muddy rivulet that winds through the croplands there. He decided to do it by building a 150-foot self-styled replica of the Golden Gate Bridge. Using salvage material and family labor and nearly... $5,000 of his own money, which did not thrill his wife. He goes, I've never seen the bridge up close, but I used a postcard and came pretty close. As one account noted, for nearly a decade now, where a couple of cottonwood trees used to stand, the bridge has served as a Midwest monument 
to dreams of distant places. Apart from cell phones and iconic bridges relocated to Kansas, it is so tempting for us sometimes to want to change our geography, figuring that changes our life. Always thinking that not only is the grass greener over the next hill, perhaps the wisdom is deeper. And so we cast about all over the world. David Crystal has distilled this into a book, Proverbial Wisdom from Around the Globe. From Zanzibar, when two elephants tussle, it's the grass that suffers. Don't, be an, don't call the alligator a big mouth till you've crossed the river, say those in Belize. From China, if you want one year of prosperity, grow grain. If you want 10 years of prosperity, grow trees. If you want 100 years of prosperity, grow people. Pray to God, but continue to row to the shore from Russia. Do not blame God for having created the tiger, says those in Ethiopia, but thank God for not having given the tiger wings. And finally from Poland, before going to war, say one prayer. Before going to sea, say two prayers. Before getting married, say three prayers. <laughs> now, there's some wisdom, I don't know what, but there's some wisdom in all this, but my question about any of these sort of wisdom sayings is, these proverbs, what has changed in your life after you've read it, heard it, or recited it? There well may be something here, but I don't think the geography of our lives change much once we digest them. What difference do any of these proverbs make? We might as well just be changing our cell phone number. It seems that a lot of what passes for wisdom, or even more, what we traffic in as a blessing, really doesn't change much at all. Blessings, of course, brings to mind the Beatitudes, these blessings that are found at the beginning of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's Gospel. Some may not be spelled out as much, but there are blessings everywhere. Jesus wasn't the first one to camp out on blessings. There are the blessings in our lives of received wisdom. You know these without me even having to line them out. Blessed are those who've climbed the ladder of success, for they'll be rewarded, supposedly. Blessed are those who invest shrewdly and can count on that, supposedly. There are even others that are more self-evident blessings that don't need to explain the payoff at all. Blessed are those with a superb education. Blessed are those who are free. Blessed those who are happy. Of course, Jesus never said any of these. He, he could have put some of these in the Beatitudes, and he pointedly did not. In fact, Jesus seems to go out of his way to not speak of these words in any way that would offer a formula for successful living. It isn't Jesus who says to the teenager, blessed are the cool, blessed are the good looking for they'll have lots of friends, blessed are those who take extra time to study for the SATs. Jesus didn't put those in the Beatitudes. To enter into the world of the Beatitudes, we need to reintroduce ourselves to the word blessing and the world of blessing. Blessing in our time has become something, I think, akin to winning the lottery. I'm so blessed. It, or somebody working magic on us or us working magic, hashtag blessed, go look it up. Or somebody else finding some key to life and then calling it a blessing. Or some religiously induced superstition. But the blessings of the Beatitudes don't go near any of that. 
They point us in a different direction. The Beatitudes are not transactions with the holy, nor are they good luck charms or to-do lists or a countdown to what will get you close to God. These Beatitudes don't fit neatly or conveniently into our world of striving or aspiring. David Brooks took this on recently. Why do we torture ourselves, he says, with things we don't have and aren't likely to get? Why do we eagerly seek out images of lives we're unlikely to lead? It's precisely because fantasy, imagination, and dreaming play a far more significant role in our makeup than we're accustomed to acknowledging. We're influenced far more than most of us admit by some longing for completion, some impulse toward heaven. And when the crowds gathered that day on the mountain in front of Jesus, I believe that they shared all these longings for striving and achievement and completion, some impulse toward heaven, some guarantee we were on the right path and we would be rewarded. They aspired for more than what they had and more than who they were. So these Beatitudes, they had to be jarring in front of all these people like us with those aspirations. Blessed are the poor in spirit Blessed are those who mourn, who are meek and merciful and pure in heart. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst, not for popularity or acceptance, not for acquisitions or achievements, but for righteousness. Blessed are peacemakers and persecuted. Really, Jesus, seriously. Have you heard the cries of those for whom righteousness is a pipe dream. Jesus opened his teaching ministry not to throw cold water on our desires, but to whet our appetites, to heighten our desires, and to excite our imaginations, long dulled by all the fake blessings that surround us, and to invite us toward heaven. As James Howell has said, referring to the Beatitudes, to discern the plot of Jesus' story, to get it, to let our mental map be crumpled up and then smoothed back out in Jesus' upside-down way of giving directions. We need to be suspicious of the banter we overhear day in, day out. We need to be prepared for Jesus' words to take a long time to work their way with us. Thinking of blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Archbishop Oscar Romero pointed directly at this challenge in a sermon he preached in El Salvador in 1979 while being harassed by government henchmen who would assassinate him a year later. In the midst of all this, Romero preached, the world does not say blessed are the poor. The world says blessed are the rich. You are worth as much as you have. But Christ says wrong. Blessed are the poor, because they don't put their trust in something transitory. Blessed are the poor, for they know their riches are in the one who was rich and became poor for our sake. Romero completed his sermon. The Beatitudes are not something we can understand fully. And that's why the, there are young people especially 
who think that the love of the Beatitudes are not going to bring about a better world and who opt for violence and guerrilla war and revolution. The church will never make that its path. The church's option is for what Christ says in the Beatitudes. I'm not surprised, though, that this isn't understood. We are all impatient, and we want a better world right now. But Christ, who preached this message 20 centuries ago, knew he was sowing a long-term moral revolution in which we human beings come to change ourselves from worldly thinking. I've talked a lot about Greg Boyle, a Jesuit priest who works with gangs in South Central LA running homeboy industries. That's a landscape there quite unaccustomed to authentic blessings. Greg Boyle has said, scripture scholars contend that the original language of the Beatitudes should not be rendered blessed are the single-hearted, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are those who struggle for justice. Greater precision in translation would say, you are in the right place if you are single-hearted or work for peace. You're in the right place if you're struggling for justice. The Beatitudes are not spirituality at all. They are geography. They tell us where to stand. Thinking about those who hunger and thirst for the world to be set right, that blessing. From 1989 to 2003, the West African nation of Liberia was brutalized in a civil war. Close to a quarter million were killed. Many more than that were, became homeless. 14 years of war left the country's economy in shambles and its communities overrun with weapons. It was in the midst of this devastation and chaos that a small group of Liberian Christians fed hope. The literal landscape of their cities and towns and countrysides were littered with bomb and shell casings. It was part of war's pollution there. They began to gather them all up, all the shell casings and those empty rounds of ammunition, and then they put themselves to work. They worked to take an empty shell from the Civil War and cut it and reform it into the shape of a cross and then sell it to whoever would take it. The people who made it are part of a group called Liberians Against Violence. They are victims of Liberians' wars, citizens and former soldiers who are now generating income for their communities by fashioning these crosses. They're making an impact, literally, on the geography of their nation. Blessings, you see, are not pie-in-the-sky wishes. Blessings are not holding on, hoping you win the lottery. Blessings are geography. They tell you where to stand, and they reform the landscape of your life into the contours of God's hope. My friend Tom Long recently recounted, last spring I was leading a clergy seminar on the far west side of Atlanta. I live on the far east side of Atlanta. We took an afternoon off, long enough for refreshment, not long enough for me to get home and back. So I was trying to think what to do. I needed a haircut, so I went and looked of, uh, for a Fantastic Sam's or a Great Clips to get a quick haircut. I found one, and I went in, and when I was in the chair, the woman said, I don't recognize you. Have you been in here before? And he said, no, 
I'm a Presbyterian minister and I'm leading a seminar nearby. And she brightened and said, oh, I'm a Christian too. And he said, really? She said, yeah, I'm a member of Creflo Dollar's church. Now, Long explains, you may not know Creflo Dollar, but he is the latest incarnation in Atlanta of the God wants you to be rich theology. He drives a big black Rolls Royce. He has a corporate jet. His parishioners have given thousands to him to invest in real estate to prove that he is blessed. He's known locally as cash flow dollar. And Long says, here I am with this woman and I'm in this chair. And she says, I'm a member of Creflo Dollar's church. And I'm thinking to myself, well, I'm already getting a bad haircut. Now I'm going to get bad theology to go along with it. But to be hospitable, I played along. After all, she had the razor in her hands. And I said, well, have you got your blessing yet? And she said, oh, I've gotten my blessing all right. Well, tell me all about it, expecting her to say something about the Mercedes in the parking lot or the diamond earrings in the scissor drawer. But instead, she said, two nights a week, I get to volunteer in a shelter for battered women. I am one, you know. I survived. They trust me. They need me. They know that I know what they've been through. They know I love them. Blessings are not pie-in-the-sky wishes. Blessings are not some faith-based equivalent to winning the lottery. Blessings are geography. They tell you where you are, and they reform the landscape of your life into the contours of God's hope. Jesus opened his ministry by going up a hill and preaching a sermon. He opened the sermon as he opened his ministry by talking about blessings. His blessings were not conventional or received wisdom that we traffic in all the time. They were not some exotic thing from another land. They were not superstition or a grab at magic. They changed the geography of the lives of those who heard it. Fred Beekner once wrote, if you want to know who you really are, as opposed to who you like to think you are, Look where your feet are taking you. The Beatitudes tell us where our feet should take us. They make us look down before we look up. And they tell us where we should stand. You're in the right place. If you're in a place where you can be poor in spirit, where in a world that says fill, 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 you can empty yourself. You're in the right place if you are a mourner seeking comfort. You're in the right place if you can just sit with someone in silence and bear their grief with them. You're in the right place if in this world of bluster and acrimony, you get to be meek. You're in the right place if you look around and you're surrounded by people in a world of competing priorities, you're surrounded by people who hunger and thirst for the world to be set right. You're in the right place if you're merciful. You're in the right place if you're pure in heart, if you are single 
hearted. You're in the right place if you're a peacemaker in this world of division, even if you get ridiculed for it, even if you get persecuted for it. You walk in these places, you stand in this geography, and you will find the landscape of your life changed and the very geography of our troubled world beginning to be healed. Now that, that, that is a blessing. 